Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move with the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely. I'll never forget it. Welcome to Adventist Voices Spectrum's podcast. I'm Alexander Carpenter, and I'm honored to be joined by Marcy Correa, who is the University Outreach Coordinator for Adventist Peace Fellowship and a great person to spend a bus ride in Alabama with, which I did uh, a few uh, days ago. So Marcy, thanks for joining me. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Uh, as I mentioned, we were on a bus trip that was Spectrum Civil Rights Journey in Alabama. Um, together, we were in Birmingham, Montgomery, and um, movingly for me, uh, Selma. And mm-hmm. uh, before we get talking about Adventist Peace Fellowship, um, I'd like for you to just kind of briefly um, mention what you uh, what your takeaway was from uh, that really interesting experience there in Alabama. For sure. Yeah. Well, I I also was really excited to be along for that journey um, in Alabama. I have been to Alabama. I actually have a family in Alabama, but I have never visited those sites intentionally, specifically with the goal in mind of kind of trying to better understand the history there. And so especially during um, these last few months, which I know many people who find themselves, especially, you know, white passing folks have been trying to find out how they can better educate themselves and prepare themselves to be better allies of our black brothers and sisters. I have found myself learning a lot more about the Voting Rights Act and the significance of it in our nation's history. And so specifically, being a part of learning a little bit more about the grassroots movement behind the initial, I guess, um, activism that spurred the Voting Rights Act um, being passed and, you know, bloody going through um, the Edmund Pettus Bridge and um, being in place of the Bloody Sunday um, event, of course, was very powerful. Um, but just having that fresh knowledge in my mind of what the Voting Rights Act means to all Americans and what it should mean to all Americans, rather, um, was, a, was a really powerful takeaway for me. Um, and I also kind of found myself really kind of rebuked by this, <laughs> I guess I, I'll call myself out elitism that I had as being kind of, oh, I'm not from the deep South. You know, those, those roots of racial injustice don't touch me as closely, but really kind of taking the time to understand that they touch all of us as Americans and our shared history. And especially at one location, on the tour, there was um, a list of many different um, lynchings that had occurred during the um, racial terror time period and seeing that three documented cases of lynchings actually happened right in my home county in Maryland, um, which I did not think was something that I would see down there. So that was a pretty um, moving and startling moment for me as well. Yeah. Um that um, lynching memorial was uh, incredible. And mm-hmm. um, I found 
both the, the, the way they documented the history and also um, used um, art, um, steel, and water to uh, help us understand the kind of physicality. You use the word terror there, and I think it's really important for us to recognize the terror that was part of, of that practice for uh, many generations. Absolutely. Yeah, it was an, an incredibly moving, but also, like you said, just physically, the memorial itself is, um, is very just, I don't even know the right word, um, impending or just, um, it's, it's very present and heavy and large and dark. And um, they do a really good job representing exactly what you said, the, the heaviness of what they're memorializing. Yeah. So, um, I, I, it was great uh, having you as a dialogue partner on the journey and, um, learning more about what Adventist Peace Fellowship is doing. Um, and, and when I first, uh, actually joined Adventist Peace Fellowship, it was, uh, as an undergraduate at Andrews, Andrews University, we were doing some anti-war um, oh, activism okay. on campus, and one of my professors, uh, Gary Land, who I was in a philosophy class mm-hmm. uh, with, um, said, hey, you know, you guys seem interested in this sort of thing. You should uh, look up this organization. And um, I was so excited that Adventists were advocating for peace in a kind of um, organized way um, that reminded me of some of the um, – you know, social justice organizations that I belong to, like uh, Amnesty International and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm. It's a it's a great legacy. And do you mind just describing a little bit about, um, you know, what Adventist Peace Fellowship is and what it uh, represents? For sure. Yeah. Um, so Adventist Peace Fellowship was really born out of conversations between um, Dr. Ron Osborne and um, Dr. Douglas Morgan back in early 2001 as they were kind of reckoning with what they saw as a disconnect between the church and our founders and the vision that they really shared for peace and justice. And then, of course, with um, the September 11 attacks in 2001, that really shifted the dialogue regarding war. And uh, we saw a huge uptick in the um, kind of religious support for war during that time, especially in the United States. And we saw it was a big movement to support war. And it was kind of seen as if almost a non-patriotic thing or unpatriotic thing not to support the war effort during that time post 9-11. Um, and so these two gentlemen kind of came together and they decided that they really wanted to help reconnect and re-educate Adventists today about our roots as a church which a lot of people, especially young people, I find when I travel, aren't aware um, that the Adventist Church emerged in the height of slavery in the United States and that it was led by a group of young people um, who embraced the most radical social reforms of their day, which included abolitionism and the elimination of class distinctions based on birthrights and women's suffrage. I mean, these were some pretty radical folks, and they were really supporting the peace and justice movements of their day. So... What we, what we aim to do with Adventist Peace Fellowship is to really kind of bring the church back to those roots of peace and justice and to remind 
folks today that you don't necessarily have to align with what we see in the media as the quote unquote religious majority um, when it comes to your views on social issues and um, especially when it comes to kind of educating young people on the importance of these philosophies and these principles within our church. We want to reinvigorate them about, um, you know, some of the same things that enthused uh, the founders of our church. Yeah, that um, history is so important for folks to recognize that Adventists were um, on the abolitionist uh, side of the um, struggle um, there in the mid 19th century. And absolutely, yeah. And there, you know, our ideas of, uh, you know, non combatancy and peacemaking are really rooted in the conversation around the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Ellen White even shared with several of the believers back in the early days, like after the Fugitive Slave Act was passed, which of course criminalized anyone who harbored a slave that was running from slavery. Um, she even, you know, we had people up in New England who were trying to harbor these slaves as they were running towards freedom in Canada. And she even shared with other believers, you know, that it would be a sin for them not to harbor slaves and to turn away their brothers and sisters in the name of following the law, because that this was an unjust law um, that didn't respect the humanity of all people. So um, I, I, I love that, you know, the Adventist Peace Fellowship is rooted in this history and, you know, you're, conv- you know, using the, the words of Ellen White to really remind us uh, of our duty to um, our fellow men and women. Tell me how that um, kind of plays out in the, the contemporary mission of Adventist Peace Fellowship. I remember during the Iraq War, um, there was a lot of conversations about um, how the church has sort of changed its um, kind of public advocacy and and moved into a little bit more, um, shall we say, compromise with the state mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. regarding um, war and what our public voice would be. Um, as the Iraq war turned into kind of a mess, it was a little bit easier for church leaders to come out and, and say without too much criticism or perceived criticism that, hey, war is bad. Maybe we shouldn't be involved in this. But um, what does, how, does, how does Adventist Peace Fellowship sort of um, uh, advocate uh, for its uh, position today? Yeah, so as you mentioned, the the original mission of Adventist Peace Fellowship has not changed from um, really advocating for peace and justice. But we have, over the years, really um, tried to boil it down to a few core things. And so there are six main, what we call our commitments as an organization. And really anything that falls under the umbrella of our six commitments, we consider um, part of our mission. So our six commitments include peacemaking and reconciliation, care for creation, Sabbath economics, health and human rights, freedom of conscience, and racial and gender justice. And of course, each of those commitments are super broad and wide and can um, really just hold a lot of great projects and movements. But what that looks like today is we have peace chapters on university campuses around North America. And actually, we have a handful of Um, chapters in, I believe, 
Australia as well, or we're working on getting some going there. And we have peace churches around North America and Australia as well. And what that means is those churches and chapters have groups of people that have committed to saying, you know, we really care about these commitments. These six commitments um, are what we stand for as a community of Adventist believers. And so they are taking part in different um, movements or projects in their communities that would fall somewhere under one of these commitments. Um, and so what we do as an organization is we kind of work as the parent or um, the the umbrella organization over top of them that seeks to, we give micro grants to help fund some of the projects that they're working on. We um, do kind of boosting of different projects they're working on throughout our social media channels. We create shareable pieces of media through our blog and through our Facebook and um, our podcast as well, Adventist Peace Radio. And so we kind of work to boost some of the ideas and the projects that our different chapters are doing around the globe. Uh, it's got to be fun working with university students. Can you just describe a little bit about the, the energy that's happening at the, at the schools? Absolutely. Yeah, working with university students is by far my favorite part of working with this organization. And as you mentioned, just their energy and their enthusiasm is unmatched. Something um, that I've loved actually getting to do specifically this school year. So as we're speaking, it's October. And this school year, I've already met several times with a group of really awesome students from Southern Adventist University in our peace chapter there. And they are doing some amazing advocacy work there on campus. Um, they have taken up the cause of a young man by the name of Matthew Russian, who um, I forgive me, I don't know all the details, but he is a um, a young man who is, I my understanding is currently imprisoned for a crime that he um, really did not fully commit the in the way that they are accusing him of committing. He was involved in a car accident, which caused no fatalities, but at the time he was suffering from. Um, an extreme mental episode um, in regards to, um, I believe, a uh, an injury he had received. Um, basically, this man is being unjustly treated due to um, being in poverty and the color of his skin. And so our students at Southern have actually launched a campaign when they are trying to get his name trending on social media, um, much like we saw the name of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and other folks trending, so that justice can be done because Unlike some of the other cases we've seen, he, he has not been killed, but he is um, imprisoned unlawfully and unjustly. And so they're trying to um, bring just, justice for Matthew Russian. Um, so that is one of the great things I love about our students is that they are not afraid to just bowl forward with all kinds of awesome projects, even when people in their communities are maybe a little more hesitant. Um, we see, you know, some of the quote unquote grown ups, right, <laughs> that are more fearful of speaking out on different topics that might rock the boat or they might be more fearful of putting the term social justice out there or branding themselves. But these students, they're not afraid and they are willing just to move forward with, with any cause that they see that needs to be boosted or for people to hear about. And I really, really love that. Yeah, that's great. You know, how did you get involved in this? This is, um, you know, it, movement work and nonprofit work, um, takes a certain dedication. Is this something that you uh, kind of picked up early on or uh, did you discover it later in life? You know, I was so blessed to be raised in um, a Christian Seventh-day Adventist home where 
these um, principles and fundamental beliefs of peace and justice were really present and were really taught to me from a young age. My father um, used to be a Baptist minister and my mother um, was a social worker growing up. And so I was so, so blessed to be exposed to many other people um, that came from different walks of life that looked nothing like mine. Right. And oftentimes that's not something that a lot of especially Christian middle class white kids, they don't always get that exposure. <laughs> and so I was super blessed to have that exposure early on. Um, my dad was actually one of the coordinators for our local Adventist conference to um, plan mission trips. So he planned trips all over the world. Um, and I got to really witness firsthand what life was like for folks who did not have the same um, set of blessings that I had. And so um, that was a huge part of my upbringing. And then as I got older and I attended um, Southern Adventist University, actually, that is where I first connected with the mission of Adventist Peace Fellowship and was a part of actually the first iteration of what is now the Adventist Peace Fellowship chapter on that campus. And with an amazing group of students, an amazing group of faculty and staff who really empowered us to do some awesome community work and advocacy projects. And so really, I think um, from the beginning, I have just been super, super blessed with um, opportunities all along the way to know that this was my calling and that this was definitely something I wanted to make a big part of my life. That's great to hear. I'm so glad you're um, an Adventist and um, doing this uh, for us. I really um, liked how you used the term fundamental beliefs for peace and justice. Um, and I, you know, um, love how you're connecting this um, work for Adventist Peace Fellowship with the, the history that a lot of Adventist kids get, which is going on short-term mission trips. And mm-hmm. um, can you just talk a little bit more about um, how those kind of two Adventist things, this language about having a fundamental belief. Of course, you're <laughs> yeah. kind of reinterpreting that in an interesting way. And mission trips, um, also you're using that because those can be a sort of, you know, basically somebody, you know, you you go overseas and it's supposed to in some way change a person. But in fact, Lots of folks go on those sort of trips, and and while they may develop a deep appreciation for a, a culture or a group of of um, fellow believers somewhere, that doesn't always lead to a larger understanding of structural change. Um, so, can you talk a little bit more about um, that the those two parts of Adventism and and how you see that both um, so effectively uh, um, implementing these values? Definitely. Yeah, I think that, first of all, something that all believers, regardless of your denomination or or sect or creed, I think something that all believers can and should agree on is the fact that worship and justice are two sides of the same coin and that they go hand in hand. And so um, no matter what you believe or or how you worship, if if you read the Bible, I think it's very clear um, from the words of scripture that justice and, and peace and care for others is something that is incredibly close to the heart of God. And so I, um, as I stated before, I was really raised with that um, belief set and 
knowing that being a believer was about caring for others. And that was at the very heart of, of what I was taught. But then also kind of touching on what you mentioned about this culture of short-term missions trips. And oftentimes, you know, I went on plenty of trips where when we came home, I heard kids say, oh, man, I've never been so grateful for air conditioning or clean water <laughs> yeah. um, or things like that, which are all great and true. And those aren't bad you know, um, lessons to take away. Gratitude is certainly not a bad lesson to take away from a trip abroad. But something that, again, I, I really credit my, my upbringing and also my education at Southern with is that I was able to learn that the reason we go on these short-term missions trips often are to impoverished nations or communities that are struggling in some sort of way. Well, the reason that these places are impoverished, impoverished or struggling is because of structural problems within the way that resources are distributed throughout our world, right? And we see this over and over again, that a lot of the locations that we take these short-term trips to are actually former um, colonies of some of the great empires of the world, um, and even colonies of our own United States empire. And so something that I learned when I would take these trips is that, you know, we kind of have a duty, I think, to help um, aid some of these issues that were created by our very own hands, whether that be us personally or, or historically within our nation. Um, and so I think that that is really one of the most important things that helped me understand that. And then also there is a fantastic book that I would recommend to everyone. I'm sure you've probably heard of it. Um, when helping hurt oh, um, yeah. by, yeah, I want to say, I'm not sure if I say it is, Fickert, Brian Fickert and Steve Corbett. Um, yeah, I read that like my first year, I think, when I was studying international development and nonprofit work in college. And that was all about, you know, kind of how we have this culture of development work and missions work, but we don't really address the root issues. We just come in and we kind of want to, oh, la-di-da, here are the beautiful things I can bring you from my country. Um, but I think that reading that book and getting a better understanding of the root issues behind structural poverty and structural injustice are all um, are all things that can be addressed. And then another really, I would say, um, just foundational book to my understanding of justice is, and and that in connection to poverty and missions work is a book called The Locust Effect by um, Gary Haugen. Um, for your listeners who may be familiar with the organization International Justice Mission, um, Gary Haugen is their founder, and he wrote a fantastic book about how poverty is not the lack of wealth. Poverty is the lack of justice and the lack of safety in um, systems, economic systems or justice systems to protect you. And that was just, oh, man, I can't recommend that book highly enough. That was a mind-blowing book when it comes to understanding um the way that poverty and injustice need to be dealt with aren't just um, anecdotal little things that we do on our, on our short-term mission trips. They um, need to be systemic issues that are addressed in sustainable ways. That's great. You're inspiring me to uh, go on a short-term mission trip uh, led by you someday, <laughs> uh, hopefully. <laughs> oh man. Wow. That is a huge, a huge compliment. Thank you. I don't know about that. Maybe one day. <laughs> um, it's, if you let it, I would, bet there would be a great reading list uh, in advance to really uh, help folks. Be. There would definitely be homework. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I like. Um, it's been really great talking with you. Uh, I think a final question, if you wouldn't mind, is just um, 
talk, you know, we're kind of in this election season uh, here in the United States, and um, there's certainly a sense of change um, around the world due to climate change and, and shifts in demographics. And um, I'm always looking for hope uh, in these sometimes dark times. And I'm just curious what gives you hope these days. Oh, man, that is a good question. Um, I, like most of your listeners and readers and and participants in this, I'm sure, I struggle most days. Um, But what really gives me hope is turning towards the grassroots change makers, such as the students I work with um, at our university chapters, such as the folks who are members of our peace churches that are just doing those seemingly small incremental um, work and projects in their communities, but they're doing it with hope and they're doing it with love. And um, that is that is giving me a huge amount of hope. And then just conversations like these, to be quite honest, um, going on trips like the one we went in Alabama, being with folks who have open hearts and minds and who are willing to learn and lament the darkness, but also lean in to the hard work of making things better for the future. Just surrounding myself with folks who um, are relentlessly optimistic when it comes to um, the work of peace and justice is really um, my favorite way to just firmly grasp onto that hope. That's great. Thank you so much for uh, offering that um, vision. Uh, I wish you all the best in your work with Adventist Peace Fellowship. And uh, thanks so much for all that you do for our community. Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move when the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely 